0: morning friends, great to see you today, so good to be back with you uh, this morning. I thank Pastor Brian for filling in for me last week. Uh, before we begin today, I just want to encourage uh, each one of you here this morning to participate in Vacation Bible School. Uh, I know many of you are coming up here, uh, uh, will be coming up here in the week of VBS, but whether you're coming up here or not, I want to encourage the rest of you to be to be praying for Vacation Bible School. Very important topic this year. I don't recall Answers in Genesis ever doing something like this, but the topic of Vacation Bible School is the sanctity of human life. And it can hardly be a more relevant topic, uh, given what's taken place in the Supreme Court. Very important time. And I hope you see that's not a mere coincidence. Uh, It's the providence of God aligning events according to his timetable. So please, please pray for Vacation Bible School, that God would use his word uh, to bear fruit in the children and families who are affected. All right, um, we want to return to our study of Psalm 18, which we began two weeks ago. Uh, looked at the first half, uh, verses 1 through 24. We want to uh, complete our look at this uh, longest, I believe, of David's psalms. Uh, there are other psalms longer, but uh, I believe not attributed to David. Uh, this is written toward the end of his life, according to Second uh, Samuel. It seems to come, they're almost his last words, and uh, he is looking back uh, over his life and recounting the Lord's deliverances and giving thanks to God. And uh, we want to finish this today by looking at uh, the second half, verses 25 through 50. So if you're not there, turn with me. I'm going to um, hop around just a bit. Uh, I can't read the whole thing right now, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read verse 31 and then uh, over to verse 46. So I will tell you where I'm going, but let's read just this portion as we begin our study today. So Psalm 18, to begin with, verses 1 through 3. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. And now verse 31. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? And now verse 46. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock And exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me. Who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king. And shows steadfast love to his anointed. To David and his offspring forever. To him who has ears to hear the word of God, let him hear what God has said. Let's pray as we begin. Uh, Father, we do ask for your uh, Spirit's help that he would open our eyes and unclog stopped ears that we can both see and hear truth not merely words on the page, not merely an account of David's victories, but, Father, that you would Your Word would come alive, it would be living and active, that it would speak to us, You would speak to us through it, Lord Christ, and that You would change us into Your image as we study it today. Strengthen me, strengthen uh, Your body in front of me. Give us grace as we look now at Psalm 18. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Augustus Toplady was an English pastor in the 1700s. One day traveling through the English countryside, Toplady was overtaken by a violent thunderstorm. According to some, he found shelter from the storm in a large ravine in England called Burrington Combe. And while he was waiting for the storm to pass in burrington Combe, he began to think about his current shelter there in the ravine and compared it to his spiritual condition as a believer. Looking down at his feet, he discovered that someone had been there before him and had dropped a playing card on the ground. And so Toplady bent down, picked it up, and jotted down these words, waiting for the storm to pass. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Of course, many of us have heard and sung those words a time or two. Um, That God is our rock was an idea cherished not just by Augustus Toplody, but also by King David, as you just heard me read. When we looked at the first half of Psalm 18 two weeks ago, we saw that comparing God to a rock was a way of describing him as a place of shelter a place of protection, a place of security. Uh, Pastor James Montgomery Boyce explains this metaphor saying, this means the Lord is a shelter beside which we can be protected and prosper, a fortress into which we can run and be safe, a firm foundation upon which our shaking feet can stand and upon which we can build. Because God is like a rock, because he is a place of shelter and stability and security. In verse 3 that we read, David says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Why exactly is the Lord worthy to be praised? What reasons do we see in Psalm 18? Why should we praise the Lord our rock? This is uh, the question we began to answer two Sundays ago. uh, In the first three parts of Psalm 18, you see them there in the back of your bulletin. To begin with, we saw uh, his delight in the Lord in verses 1 through 3, his delight in the rock. And comparing the Lord to a a massive boulder or a rocky crag, David praised the Lord who had protected him and strengthened him throughout his whole life. And then David went on to describe, oh, there's the rock, by the way. Uh, Giant rock, is it's called. Great name, isn't it? This is in California somewhere. And... uh, You can see the two little people standing beneath uh, the rock shade here on the left side. Uh, So this was David's delight and described the Lord in terms like these. Uh, Then David described his deliverance and he recounted the ways God had rescued him uh, through supernatural intervention. Very, very graphic terms. Uh, uh, um, An immense thunderstorm. Uh, like a volcano Uh, and and he referred back to previous events in the old testament and told us god delivered me like this and like this and then finally uh, we heard his declaration david declared why the lord had rescued him uh, why the lord had intervened to save him from his enemies And it's the third one that you see on the screen behind me that he parks on and uh, talks about at length. It was because of his faithfulness to the Lord. The Lord had rescued him because of his faithful obedience to God's commands. Well, we want to continue answering the question, why is the Lord worthy to be praised? Why should we praise the Lord, our rock, And we'll answer it further in the second half of Psalm 18. You note on your bulletin there are three uh, more parts to this psalm. It's those that we want to look at this morning. We're going to see something quite unusual here. I don't recall ever having uh, this present itself uh, in any of the psalms that we've ever studied together on a Sunday morning. Uh, But some have observed that David, as he goes forward, is actually going backward. And he, in essence, repeats himself. Of course, it's not word for word. He doesn't say the same exact things. But as we move forward into these next three parts, he's going to repeat in different terms and expand on what he said in the first three parts except these three parts he's going to take in reverse order. I'll try to present that to you so you can uh, see what I'm talking about. It's, it's essentially a mirror image, uh, a reflection of the first half, this half in more detail perhaps, certainly more personal uh, and descriptive. For example, in the fourth part of our psalm, Uh, David goes on to make further declaration this is the point uh, we heard last time the very third third point the very last point was his declaration now he's going to go on to make further declaration Uh, he's going to expand on why the Lord delivered him he said it's because of his obedience before and David is going to go on to say three things in this Additional declaration. Uh, three things. He starts by stating the principle of what underlies his rescue. And it's simply this The Lord rewards those who seek him. Look at verse 25. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. It could say, With the faithful, you show yourself faithful. The word merciful there in verse 25 is based on that very important Old Testament term, chesed. You can say it better when you have a cold. You can say chesed if you want. You don't have to make the H a hard sound. It occurs throughout the Old Testament. Aside from the names of God, it is perhaps the most important word in the Old Testament scriptures. Chesed or chesed, as a Jewish person might say. Uh, It is God's loyal love, His steadfast love, His faithful love, His faithfulness in particular to His covenant. This word merciful is based on that term. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To believers who are faithful to your covenant, you in return are faithful to them. He continues, with the blameless you show yourself blameless. This word blameless uh, is used frequently in the book of Leviticus to describe animal sacrifices. This is the kind of sacrifice Israel was called to present to the Lord. Sacrifices without spot, without defect, blameless. And so David uh, uh, is saying to those uh, who... Uh, walk with integrity Uh, of course they're not perfect they're not sinless that's not the point of what he's trying to say but to those whose lives are above reproach to those whose lives are sound you treat them in the same manner you are blameless toward them and then note the last phrase this is in verse 26 with the purified you show yourself pure with those who have pure lives from keeping your commands. You, in turn, react uh, or or treat them in purity. You, uh, You treat them righteously. But then now, look at the next phrase. Here's the contrast. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. Uh, could say with the crooked you make yourself seem crooked not that God in any way uh, tempts us with sin uh, this refers to those who turn away from the Lord and his word they will find him shrewd they will find him crafty and cunning in the way that he deals with them uh, Dr. Alan Ross comments God deals with the perverse in kind. He can match them in their capacities, twisting their wickedness around to come back upon them. You know an example of this. Take, for example, uh, what happened to Jacob. Uh, Remember that the name Jacob means one who grabs the heel or supplanter or usurper. And remember how he stole the the, the birthright uh, the rights of the firstborn son from his brother Esau remember it involved him wearing a bigfoot suit and cooking a meal his mom cooked up the meal I'm kidding I was just seeing if you were with me no bigfoot suit is involved in the old testament as far as we know uh, Wearing uh, animal skins, and his, his mother cooked up uh, his father's favorite food. And you recall that Jacob tricked Isaac into blessing him. Uh, Esau became livid. Jacob had to run for his life. And who did Jacob meet? Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban. Good old Uncle Laban. He fell in love with his daughter, Rachel. And worked for seven years. You hear the violence? Where do I begin? To tell the story. No, that's that's from another movie I probably don't want to mention here. And Laban on Jacob's wedding night, what's he do? Slips in her sister in place of Rachel. Leah and so uh, Jacob works yet another seven years uh, for Rachel again with the crooked he makes himself seem torturous with the crooked the Lord deals shrewdly making their ways come back on them Paul repeats the same principle in Genesis, uh, Galatians 6 this is in the context of giving. So the main application is how you spend your money, but it applies beyond that. And Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. So here's the idea. Uh, someone who is, uh, decides not to follow the Lord, and, and maybe that's you, and and you think, well, you know, uh, he won't see. Uh, But it says God is not mocked. You can't do one thing on the outside, be another way on the inside, and think you can get off with it. God knows all things perfectly. Do not be do not be deceived, And, and so that's important because we we have this way of lying to ourselves. It's called rationalization, and oh, it doesn't matter. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You can't put on a Bigfoot suit and expect to pull off a trick on God. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life to the crooked the Lord makes himself seem torturous so first of all David uh, in this further declaration states the principle uh, that um, the Lord rewards those who seek him the Lord rewards those who seek him it's a general principle it's stated throughout scripture for example, Hebrews eleven six 6 restates the very same thing. And without faith it is impossible to please Him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. From our scripture reading just moments ago in the book of James, James also stated the very same thing. But the one who looks into the perfect law, uh, the law of liberty and Perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Next Lord's Day, hopefully, we will see it stated yet again in Psalm 19, uh, which says this Moreover, by your rules, as your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. This does not mean that believers never suffer. Job, a clear example of a blameless man, blameless man who suffered greatly. It doesn't mean that unbelievers never appear to succeed quite often. In fact, it seems that unbelievers are the ones being rewarded and blessed. Listen to Asaph in Psalm 73, for example. But generally speaking, the principle David is stating, and this principle that we see holds true over the long haul, the Lord rewards those who seek Him. You might be suffering today, uh, but fortunately, First Peter says, but after you have suffered a little while, I don't know how long it's going to last, Scripture reaffirms the truth, the Lord rewards those who seek Him. There is a great benefit to following Christ. John Piper brings this out, uh, has uh, brought this out several on several occasions. One motive we follow Christ is because of the immense benefits. I think of um, when my parents had one of their big anniversaries, I think it was their 50th, uh, we got together as a family. And uh, we all did, some of us got up to say a few things, and I was grateful for the way my parents raised me to follow Christ and His Word. And what I said to my mom and dad, I'm so grateful for what you taught me. I missed so many bad things uh, that I saw my classmates go through I dodged so much junk because of how they raised me to follow Christ and and to be obedient to His Word. I put it to you. Look, if you're on the edge, there is great benefit. The Lord rewards those who seek Him. I'm not saying you're going to drive a whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But this general principle, generally speaking, is always true. According to Scripture, in keeping them, there is great reward. Anybody want to plan on on being in misery for most of their lives? If you'd slide your hand up, you can just go ahead and ignore the Word of God and you're guaranteed to encounter that. I'm not saying there aren't going to be tough times as a believer. We're promised that we will suffer. Uh, Our Savior suffered. We will have hard times as well. But the Lord rewards those who seek Him. This is a man who's lived long enough to know. Generally speaking, the Lord rewards those who seek Him. He's aware, though, that not everybody's going to swallow this. And so he goes on to give... Uh, in addition to the principle, he he gives some proof to support it. He gives three proofs, actually. Three things he's observed. uh, Three circumstances that took place in his life. Each of these begins with the word for as an explanatory comment. Uh, This is how I know this is true because of these things that I've observed and experienced. He goes on, Uh, describe them one thing he says uh, that he's observed is forced humility he's seen the lord save humble people he's seen he's seen the lord save those who acknowledge their weakness the lord saves those aware that they need help but the lord humbles the arrogant and the self-sufficient look at verse 27 for you save a humble people but the haughty eyes you bring down the person with the proud look, uh, you bring down. And again, this lines up with the rest of Scripture, which echoes this very sentiment, these, these very words. For example, First Peter chapter 5 says it like this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then we could go to that passage where the Lord lists seven things that he hates. Now, if there's ever a list you need to pay attention to, uh, it probably would be this. Here's what I detest, God says, and your ears should perk up, I should avoid these. That would be the wise thing for us to do, correct? Uh, So uh, you're you're familiar with this in Proverbs 6. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And what's the very first thing in the list? Haughty eyes, the same phrase uh, that David uses right here uh, in verse 27. But the haughty eyes you bring down. So David asks us, how do I know that the Lord rewards those who seek Him? I know because I've I've observed Him level the self-sufficient. I, through my life, have seen Him put the arrogant in the dust. Uh, I once met a man with a really big mouth. In fact, everything about him was big. His name was Goliath. And I hurled a stone at him. Uh, with my sling, Goliath took it hard and lost his head. Oh, yeah, Goliath. But the haughty eyes, you bring down. Well, he goes on, not only that, David says, I- I've seen forced humility. I mean, the Lord put down Goliath. He's seen renewed vitality. Uh, experienced this from the Lord, verse 28, "For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness." According to Dr. Alan Ross, light is a figure of speech that refers to continuing life, ongoing life. And darkness there, in the next phrase, uh, refers to life-threatening circumstances so in support of the principle the Lord rewards those who seek him David offers as proof the fact that he is still alive that the Lord has, had preserved his life on several occasions that the Lord had lightened his darkness, how do, how do I know the Lord rewards those who seek him he asks, I know because I've faced certain death on several occasions and I'm still standing I know he rewards those who seek him because I'm alive. David offers this as additional proof of the truthfulness of this principle. And then a third proof that he gives us is unexpected agility. We see this in verse 29. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. How do I know the Lord rewards those who seek him? I know because he's delivered me through battle after battle. And you can imagine in his career as a soldier, the Lord uh, safely brought David through all kinds of conflict on the battlefield. It it might have been charging an enemy position, as he seems to say, I can run against the troop or uh, hurdling a wall at a full run. Uh, leaping over a wall as he describes here. Uh, I know the Lord rewards those who seek Him because I've done things in battle that I don't have the ability to do. He gave me unexpected agility. So in this further declaration, he, He gives us this principle. This is why the Lord rescued me. He rewards those who seek Him. And I've been seeking Him. And here's further proof of that. I've experienced forced humility, and renewed vitality, and unexpected agility, things I couldn't do, I was doing. This is why the Lord delivered me. Then he goes even further, and this is kind of a summary of of this whole declaration. He goes on to describe the perfect. He says, the Lord's way is is perfect and this comes in verse 30 this God his way is perfect it's that word blameless again flawless spotless Uh, I mentioned it's the word used in Leviticus to describe animal sacrifices David's lived long enough at this point and had enough experience with the Lord at this point been through enough to conclude that the Lord's way is flawless. The path that leads to life is the perfect one. The Lord, with His infinite wisdom, knows exactly what to bring across our path. There's nothing random The Lord in His wisdom knows what to introduce into our lives for His glory and your good. Oh, friend, He's saying this to you. His way is perfect. He knows exactly what will benefit His name and He knows exactly what will produce your good. In his wisdom, he knows just how much you are able to bear. In fact, he assures us in the New Testament, no temptation or test, you could say. Uh, The word is perosmos, temptation or test. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. There's a sermon right there in that phrase. Oh, boy. (laughs) You know, you think you're, well, I'm the only one this has ever happened to. You know, in in our human stupidity, we hear that lie from the Satan. Oh, Bubba, (laughs) you're the only one with this problem. And, you know, it's just so funny and comforting. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted, tested beyond your ability. Uh, but with the temptation, I'm tempted to throw this, <laughs> but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it to cope with it to bear up under it uh, to last through it David tried his way at one point you recall the incident involving Bathsheba and Uriah and Joab and Absalom an incident which ended uh, very badly So he can say with some confidence and with a ring of authority to it, this God, his way is perfect. I'm telling you, I've lived it. His way is flawless. Well, he goes on to say in verse uh, 30, uh, he goes on to say, the word of the Lord proves true. Uh, It refers to uh, purifying metal. Uh, to determine its true character Uh, you test gold to determine uh, the genuineness of it silver uh, the word of the Lord uh, has been through the fire of experience and it it has proven itself to be uh, accurate and reliable and dependable you can count on this Uh, God's word has gone through the fires of affliction in the lives of his followers and it has come out of the fire proven trustworthy. Uh, the word of God proves true time after time after time. And, and especially in this particular sense. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. All those who seek shelter and protection in their God will find it. That doesn't mean it goes away like that. Uh, It doesn't mean you'll be shielded from all suffering. The word, after all, Hebrews 12 assures us that the Lord disciplines those He loves. Yet we can take refuge in Him during those times and find Him to be a shield for us. David describes here in this further declaration uh, that the Lord, oh, His way is flawless it is the path that leads to life take this one because it's perfect listen to Charles Spurgeon far past all fault and error are God's dealings with his people every way of God is complete in itself and all his ways put together are matchless in harmony and goodness David had tried it thousands have tried it we have tried it and it has never failed. This is his further declaration. Uh, He declared that the Lord had delivered him because his way was blameless. And now in this further declaration, he goes on to explain why that happened. Well, there's uh, another part. Of course, this this matches the second part. Now David goes on to describe his further deliverance again, retracing his steps, not just the repeat of what he's described. Actually, he's using language quite different. Uh, back up in verses 4 through 19, you recall it was uh, language describing the the, the majesty and, and the transcendence of God and powerful thunderstorms. And, and like the parting of the Red Sea, he created a path for me. This is... Extremely personal, very present and down to earth. And here, as he mentions this further deliverance, David says three things. First, he says that through the Lord, he was completely equipped. Completely equipped. Uh, David describes the Lord's deliverance in terms of a, a soldier's gear. Uh, look at this. He begins, first of all, stating the supremacy of God over all things. Verse 31. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength. Uh, that word equipped could literally say uh, the God who girded me about the God who belted me around. Uh, In other words, God gave me a belt of strength. First at His waist. He moves to His uh, feet. In verse 33, He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. Um, Paul mentions the way our feet are equipped also with shoes of readiness in Ephesians 6.15. And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Paul had in mind the uh, hobnailed sandals worn by the Roman legionary to give them sure footing. Now I'm not saying David had sandals like this. Most likely not. This is centuries after David lived. But in a way similar to a Roman soldier, David says the Lord made him sure-footed on the heights of the Judean wilderness as he fled from Saul and as he pursued his enemies he moves from his feet to his upper body in verse 34 he trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze this is likely a bronze reinforced bow it is a this is the heavy gear he's pulled out the heavy equipment And God strengthened David and gave him the ability to use heavy weapons like this. Uh, Then David talks about the Lord's sustaining grace in verse 35. You've given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness or your gracious way of dealing with me made me great. Uh, you have sustained me in battle with your grace your right hand your power has supported me and then he moves back down to his uh actually his ankles in verse 36 you gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip that word feet could be Again, more literally, ankles. My ankles did not turn. Um, I didn't turn an ankle uh, chasing or running from my enemies. You can imagine, well, I hope you can imagine, I'm calling you to imagine how easy it would have been for David to turn an ankle in the Judean wilderness. That's the Judean wilderness. Look, I've had better shoes than David, and I've turned an ankle in my backyard. This is the real deal here. God strengthened him. You see how personal this is? We're talking about the things right next to his body. God strengthened me throughout this mountainous region as he ran from Saul and and hid in caves. The Lord strengthened me from head to toe almost. No helmet uh, we see here as, as Paul describes. Well, guess what? The Lord promises to equip you and me just as thoroughly. Just as thoroughly. And, you know, you might be thinking this morning, I, I you know, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I am at a loss. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know what? He's going to give you the equipment. I, His gracious and dwelling Spirit, He's going to give you. He's going to give you what you need. And I can say this with complete authority because the Bible says so. Uh, this is immense comfort to us. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Note that phrase, training in righteous living, that the man of God may be complete. It's not mistranslated. It is not mistranslated. That's what the word means. Complete. Equipped. Equipped. For every good work, you will be equipped head to toe by God's gracious provision, whatever it is that you encounter. He doesn't mean for you to go out in in conflict unequipped, without armor, but wearing His armor. So do you need wisdom? Whew. I mean, you know, those times when uh, something happens and you are just clueless. And whatever happened has got your head spinning. And the Lord instructs us to ask for wisdom. He says in James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. You need peace. Do you need peace? Yeah. A lot of times, we hear troubling things, upsetting things. Things happen that that just get us knotted inside. Jesus is the source of our peace. And he says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Self-control? Is something getting ahead of you? Is there some, some sin that's starting to master you, or has mastered you? Maybe you need patience? Do you need joy? And so all these are supplied by the, the Spirit who indwells us if we know Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. So through the Lord, his rock, David had all the strength he needed. He was completely equipped for battle. So he describes this deliverance in terms of personal equipment. And because the Lord completely equipped David This led him to be completely victorious. Having been so thoroughly supplied by the Lord, strengthened by him. Look what David was able to do through that strength. Uh, Listen to his victory. It begins in verse 37 and follows on. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me, girded me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. That phrase could refer to uh, the enemies uh, uh, retreating, uh, escaping, running away from David. It could also refer to the way that a conqueror Uh, would place his foot on the defeated enemy's neck as they groveled before him in the dust. That might be what this is talking about. Either way, David gives credit to the Lord for this. You equipped me. Verse 40 goes on. And those who hated me, I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save them. They cried to the Lord or against the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. Here Spurgeon gives us a comment on verse 42. Uh, He says, The defeat of the nations who fought with King David was so utter and complete that they were like powders, pounded in a mortar. Their power was broken into fragments and they became weak as dust before the wind. Here's the great thing. We're promised similar victory to David's because Christ was completely victorious on the cross. Because Christ was victorious, we can be too. Here, Paul, as he writes in Colossians chapter 2, when he, when God the Father, had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him through christ and because of christ's triumph james says submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you whoa that sounds a lot like you made my enemies turn their backs to me And John says, I write to you young men, because you are strong spiritually, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And even further, Paul says in uh, Romans 16, think how similar this language is. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Is that encouraging? Oh, I suppose. Well, having been equipped by the Lord, David goes on to say here in this second thing that the Lord made him, no mistake about it. He gives credit where credit is due. The Lord made him victorious. The Lord made him completely victorious over enemies as, as long as he pursued the Lord. Remember, the Lord rewards those who seek him. Well, these two led to a third thing and that resulted in his uh, uh, the nation's uh, people being completely submissive to David's authority, completely surrendering to him as as the king, God's representative on earth. Uh, We see this submission in verse 43. Look at your Bible. You delivered me from strife with the people. It could say you delivered me from strife with the tribes. Uh, Probably talking about civil unrest inside the nation. Spurgeon uh, agrees with this, saying that it was deliverance from civil war inside Israel. But it it, it spilled over outside the borders. He says, next, you made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreign powers outside Israel. And listen to their submission to David. In verse 44, as soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. Because David had been so completely equipped by the Lord and because he had been so completely victorious, the surrounding nations become completely submissive. They melt away. We will see this literally fulfilled through one of David's descendants. And we will see this again the, nils, the, the nations melt away at the return of Christ. Every knee shall bow. This is the promised, uh, the promise that um, the Lord makes to the, the Father makes to the Son in Psalm 2. Uh, he says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. Um and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Words used again in the book of Revelation at the return of Christ. When Jesus returns in his glorious majesty on that day, we will see this fulfilled again. Uh, The nations submissive to his authority. Well, we're we're uh, in the final stretch now okay so we've seen a further declaration this matches part 3 we've seen a further deliverance described this matches part 2 and now we need to come back full circle to the part that matches the first part of Psalm uh, uh, 18 and David began with praise and now he's come full circle and he would go back to it at the very end we see further delight David again returns uh, to the subject he opened with way back in verse 1, uh, 49, 48 verses ago. Uh, in this sixth part, he praises the rock yet further. And he praises him, we see, for three reasons. First, because he's the living God. Verse 46 says, The Lord lives and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. Oh, and this is, this is echoed by the prophets, uh, by other psalm writers, uh, by King Darius. Unlike the gods of the nations, gods who are speechless, gods who are powerless, David says, Yahweh lives. Your God is not just an idea. Your God is not just an abstract. He is real. He lives. Jeremiah says, oh, jeepers. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) Jeremiah said this, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. As his wrath, at his wrath the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. And then the, the writer of Psalm 42, that plaintive cry, the writer says, I don't want anything outside of the one true God. He says this, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I want the real one. And after Daniel was rescued from the lion's den, uh, Darius, uh, king of Persia, uh, Darius the Mede, rather, excuse me, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. God's the living God. And this is why David returns to delight in Him. It's because He's the living God. He he goes on, a second reason He expresses this further delight is because He's the avenging God. In verse 47, The Lord who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me. Who rescued me from my enemies? Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. That's probably not just one person, collectively speaking, violent men. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. And so the Lord tells us in Romans 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord is the avenger of all wrongs, and every wrong you've ever suffered will be avenged at the return of Christ. Amen. In David's own case, he was uh, blessed to experience vengeance in his own lifetime. You and I are not promised that. We are promised that whatever it is, the Lord will handle it. That rotten boss you had. Oh, I, I better not say anything further. You know the wrongs you've experienced from the hands of men. They will be righted. They will be righted. There will be justice. Praise the Lord. There will be justice one day. Third, David praises God, finally, not only because he is the living God, the avenging God, but because he's the faithful God. He is the God who keeps his word. Uh, this is in the final verse, verse 50, great salvation. He brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. And there's that important, important word, steadfast love, hesed or hesed, uh, that term meaning covenant faithfulness. Loyal love, steadfast love, loving kindness, according to one version. God's faithful love. He will keep it first to David. He's kept it to David. That's who he, he's referring to by his anointed. He's referring to himself. Shows steadfast, Lord, you've been faithful to me and to his offspring forever. That refers to his sons and grandsons. And great David's greater son, Jesus Christ, Lord, I know you will be. You've been faithful to me, to David, and not only me, but also those follow me, as you promised in Second Samuel seven fourteen. You will show steadfast love to my heirs and to the heir, the heir. Uh, great David's greater son, Christ. Just as Gabriel announced to Mary, just as Gabriel announced to Mary, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. We hear David delighting, uh, delighting in his God, uh, just as he did as he opened this psalm. Uh, expressing his, his affection and devotion for the living God, for uh, the avenging God, and, and above all, God who keeps his word. So, friends, why is the Lord worthy to be praised? As David says in verse 3, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Why should we praise the Lord our rock? And he explains further in this second half of Uh, psalm 18 in his further declaration the lord rewards those who seek him Oh, follow him follow the way of life because he rewards those who pursue him in his further deliverance it's because the lord so completely equips him for battle enabling us to conquer sin through christ and in his further delight it's because of who our god is the living god the avenging God, the faithful God. That's why we praise the Lord, our rock. In the words of Augustus Toplody, are you taking refuge in the rock of ages? Cleft for you, Have you hidden yourself in Christ? I'm asking you to start with if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. That's how you find shelter in the rock. Turning from your sin to rely on Christ's payment on the cross and in nothing else. You find shelter in in Christ, our surety, our payment. Our refuge and, and then further are you taking refuge in christ the rock now now that you know him now that you have have trusted him as your savior and lord is he your refuge the one true god the living god or or have you sought refuge in, in things made out of wood things made with men's hands idols there is only one rock. I, I know no other, as Isaiah said. Who is a rock except our God? Amen. Wood rots. Metal rusts. Aluminum doesn't rust. Uh, if your God's made of aluminum, you're in, you're in bad shape. <laughs> says I do not want you to be unaware brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink he's talking about Israel for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ the rock was Christ lead us to yourself Christ Jesus above all things May we find a safety, refuge, protection in you, Christ. If anyone is here who's never put their faith in you, Jesus, draw them to yourself. Show them your great love that you poured out on the cross for sinners like us. And Father, those of us who've trusted you, show us the futility of our false gods and let us seek you the living rock, the one true rock, and find you to be our source of safety and refuge. Jesus, we ask this in your precious name. Amen.